tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party. Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free comedy to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. This is My Kind of Weird, a podcast where two people swap and pitch three kinds of media. Something watchable, something readable, and something listenable. To see if each person says at the end of the pod, that's my kind of weird. I'm your host after a very long time, Anthony Pollock, and we are joined here today by none other than Matt Knowles, who looks like he might be indie comics answer to Rob Zombie. Matt, Matt, are you ready to get weird with me? Man, well, I don't know if I'm ready to get weird with you, but I'm ready to get weird with you on the podcast. Let's do it, man. (laughs) (laughs) You already threw me off and I haven't even said anything yet. Let's do this. All right, Matt, present your something watchable. Something watchable. So let me tell you, one of my favorite shows to watch is People just do nothing. Shall I? Corrupt FM's got their intellect. Yes. Trust me. It's MC Grinder right now. DJ Beats right now. We're representing Corrupt FM. Corrupt FM in it. The rest are relevant, yeah? Back on BBC Three. Yes. The BBC Three saviors, like. Exactly. It was men of drown, but we gave it armbands. Do you know what I mean? We gave it life, yeah? Lock on to our new show, yeah? Back. Corrupt FM. I know. It's called People Just Do Nothing. What is the show. People just, that's, yeah, I know. doesn't make sense because we do loads. That's, that's, a, that's a, I didn't even want to do this. That's a stupid name. I don't know if you have ever seen the show, but People Just Do Nothing is about uh, this group of friends that are so self-absorbed, they think that their little pirate radio station, 108.9 Corrupt FM, is going to revolutionize and change the world. They uh, they broadcast all throughout the uh, the whole of South London, and they think that there's people that are literally going to be stopping in their cars so they can listen to their broadcast. And the show is uh, it's hilarious. It's designed like one of those docudramas, uh, but mm. it, it is a, it is an amazing show. There's actually some great music. And one of the coolest things about this show is this: these guys all wanted to be DJs and rappers growing up, and they they weren't able to be successful in it. So then they went and did this this show where they play these guys that want to be rappers and want to be DJs that are unsuccessful in doing it. And the show became so popular that now they get to go around and tour the world as Corrupt FM playing their characters and actually get to do the thing they wanted to do in the first place, which is be famous DJs. (laughs) (laughs) It's about as convoluted as it gets, hey? It is, man. It is, but it's amazing. <laughs> oh man, I didn't actually get a, a chance chance to actually watch it, but it's. Hang on, run the pitch by me again. So corrupt FM. So people just do nothing. Yep. Are about these guys that want to be DJs and rappers, and they've set up this pirate radio station, one hundred eight point nine Corrupt FM, that broadcasts throughout the whole of South London. And they basically have got like a, like an antenna that they've taped up on the top of their apartment building. And 
basically like a couple of blocks can hear their station, but they think that this is the biggest deal known to man. And the whole thing is, is kind of filmed like the office. So it's a docudrama like that. And uh, you get to see these guys thinking they're such a big deal. They've got their buddy Chabadi G who thinks he's their promoter, but he's kind of like, like a pawn shop kind of guy that like thinks people are going to believe the, the nonsense that he's saying, but it's, it's an amazing show. Um, I'm, I'm trust me, you're going to watch episode one. You're going to be like, I got to go watch all the seasons, the movies. I got to go listen to the albums. You're going to really love it. How long has it been out for? I believe it's been like four or five seasons. Uh, there's a movie that for whatever reason is still not available in the U S um, um, people just do nothing big in Japan. Um, but I think that, I think it was um, mid mid 20 teens in there. So I don't know if it's 2013, 2015, 2017, but somewhere in that range is how long is when this started. And it was four seasons in, uh, in, in England, I believe. Yeah. Nice. And um, is there any actor, is it like brand new cast as in like their first acting jobs or is it, oh. is there anyone in there that we know or? Absolutely not. It's all guys that legitimately wanted to do this group and they started doing like a little YouTube thing that got picked yeah. up. And so uh, from that YouTube it. thing, yeah. it got picked up. And so they've become famous from doing their little YouTube show and became, and then doing this show. So there yeah. are people that now know them. They've actually won some awards. They've been at award shows and all that, but they're all just guys that are from that show. It's like, um, I remember, uh, I don't know how old you are, but I remember the original college humor guys. Yes. And the, when there was like four of them and um, and I remember the original skits and uh, it's it's crazy to me that those, uh, I, I think it was four or five of them, have gone on to like write like well-known shows and things like that. You know, it's not a dick, man. It's a mouth-based video game is probably, <laughs> 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 it's probably one of my favourite skits. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Um, all right, so my something watchable is Akira. Yeah, Tokyo is going to change soon. What you do, you weird little... Move out! Hands From legendary director Katsuhiro Otomo comes one of the greatest animated films of all time. Akira is one of those animes which up until the other night I had never watched. Um, I'd seen it like Ghost in the Shell, you know, Dragon Ball Z, Taker Man is a big, uh, a big fan of that as listeners of the pod would know. But Akira, oh man, um, that was a fucking trip. I'm just glad that I, I was not under the influence of anything whilst <laughs> watching Akira. Um, <laughs> have you given Akira a watch, Matt? Sure so, we have. So here's the thing. I haven't other than watching some of it once you sent me through your watchable, but I do have some familiarity with Akira uh, because I do a lot of, um, I do a lot of uh, panel hosting and emceeing at uh, Comic-Cons. And um, I've actually interviewed some of the people that do voices on there, like Johnny Young Bosch. So Johnny Young Bosch, who is uh, one of the is the Black Power Ranger, who's done a ton of mm-hmm. of uh, anime voice acting, Bleach, things like that. I think I've interviewed him four four times at different cons. So uh, so I definitely have some familiarity. I've done a lot of interviewing with uh, 
a lot of the people in the U.S. that do a lot of the um, the overdubs, and I understand the way that the voice acting, where they're taking it from uh, from Japanese, and 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 how they have to make the words work with the flaps and different things like that. So, um, yeah, so that was when I saw. I'm like, cool. I've interviewed one of the guys that do Akira, but the the trailer definitely does look uh, um, looks pretty wild. Looks pretty wild. I mean. There's some animes that I can handle. There's some animes that I'm definitely a fan of. There's other ones that I have a tough time watching, but uh, that definitely looks like something that, that could be very interesting. Yeah, it's interesting for sure. It's It felt like... So it's, a, uh, it's an anime film where there's... Uh, which kind of... It starts off with sort of this group of friends who there's three of them are kind of like in a... Uh, like a motorcycle gang where... Which... They call it a gang throughout the entire film, but it's really just a uh, just three guys sort of hanging out and getting up to mischief in uh, sort of uh, dystopian Neo Tokyo. And eventually, one of the friends who you think isn't going to be the main character ends up in a motorcycle accident, and he starts getting like telekinetic uh, abilities, and that's where it gets all sorts of fucking weird. It's, um, and, you know, it involves blowing up of a, of a satellite, um, that's orbiting, orbiting the planet for a second. One of the characters turns into what can only be described as the blob. And in typical sort of Japanese 1980s sort of, uh, fashion, it's, uh, it has sort of this meaning of life and the big bang, theory aspect to it towards the end of it it is just bonkers whacked out and crazy it's kind of like um it's uh the main character uh and his friend that becomes all powerful they sort of end up in this battle against each other of you know friends and then it goes back to when they uh when they were children and so there's sort of that nice sort of um camaraderie but also you're doing bad things dude i've got to stop you um so it's a it's an interesting it's interesting for sure the imagery is interesting but um i just felt as i was watching i just found myself just in awe at the the background animation and just the how much detail would have gone into this and you know in the 80s there would have been no computers at all that would have um you know, helped them create this art. I was, I was just in awe at it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. As you can tell, it's very involved from just a little bit that I did watch. I'm, I'm in full agreement with you there. All right, Matt, present your something readable. Something readable. You know what? Let me go pull the link back up because I want to make sure that I am, uh, I am actually quoting this correctly. So, uh, USA Today here in the United States. Uh, just put out an article saying that NASA is going to be is announcing 16 people who are going to study UFOs to see what is natural and what isn't. So this is not some psycho, ridiculous, um, bizarre website that's out there, some conspiracy theory website. You're talking about the literal um, main space exploration NASA in the United States is hiring 16 people to go out there and try to prove or disprove the UFOs that are out there. So to me, that is, is pretty impressive. So that's, that's, that's government jobs that are, that are being, um, 
you know, it's not some some hidden group over in the in the corner like Area 51 or whatever it may be. So to me, that's pretty amazing that the NASA has actually got 16 guys that are going to be being or 16 individuals, uh, male, female, whatever they may be, that are going to actually be out there doing this research on a very public level. Uh, I saw the list of people. Um no Mulder and no Scully. Yeah. So that's a red flag for me. Yeah, that's a bullcrap right there, man. That's a bullcrap. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, I, I reckon, do you reckon this came off the back of uh, that, uh, wasn't there sort of like some documents that were leaked that eventually got, uh, I guess, unredacted yeah. last year or something like that? Yeah, I believe that that's the case. And I, you know, I, I think that, that the term UFO, when, whenever you hear that term, people think, oh, they must be talking about grays and greens and, you know, you know, little spacemen that are going to be doing anal probes and things like that. And, you know, where did all the cows go and all that kind of fun stuff. But a UFO is exactly that. It's an unidentified flying object. It doesn't mean that it's, um, it doesn't mean that it's, you know, it has to be space aliens. It could be something in, the, in our atmosphere. I mean, like if you didn't know what the Northern Lights were, um, in Norway, Sweden and all that, if you didn't know what the Northern lights were, you'd probably freak the heck out every time you saw that in the sky thinking it was an alien invasion. So I think the first thing is, is they're going to try to figure out if there's something that is, is understandable to people like you and I, as to what these unidentified flying objects are and make them identified flying objects. And then if not kind of go from there. It's. It doesn't matter if they prove or disprove them, because at the end of the day, there's still going to be your absolute <laughs> untempered whack jobs that are always going to uh, believe what they want to believe. Let's say. Yeah, and you know what though, but but aliens are fun. Uh, I play a lot of fantasy sports. Um, I've had even like regular like basketball teams and stuff like that named after aliens. I love the grays and greens. I love that whole fantasy world. Um, as long as they look like, you know, the little green men, not like, um, you know, like predator, none of those crazy guys are like alien. I don't like those guys. Forget that. But, um, I mean, it's, it's fun, you know, it's, it's fun fantasy. So, you know what, hopefully they find some grays and greens so we can have fun with that. Uh, okay. So quickly favorite alien, <sighs> favorite alien. Let's see here. Hmm. I would say probably, I know this is going to, this is going to go way back. Probably Mork for Mork, Nanu Nanu. <laughs> Fucking hell, deep cut, say. <laughs> deep cut right there. <laughs> All right, my something readable is Exiles Volume 1 by Marvel Comics. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with Exiles, Exiles is basically a team of uh, mutants that have been pulled from all sorts of different dimensions uh, to form one team, uh, and that team's job is to uh, is to fix the timelines that they're that they're from. Well, not that they're just from, but also other timelines as well. So it's kind of like Quantum Leap meets the X Men. So it's it's fantastic. It's lots of fun. It's um, uh, I think the really smart thing about it. I was reading it the first volume and then I sort of got to like uh, the the third story because there's usually about four of them and and it's the story where uh Jean Grey has to be put to death because uh well at least that's what the Shia want to do because she's going to become Dark Phoenix and it was sort of a really smart way of Marvel to sort of use that old IP that by then would have been 10, 15, 20 years old and sort of 
inject, uh, I guess, new blood into it, but also a new way of telling the story and maybe also get some new fans on board as well. I'm actually, I put it down when I was finished and I was just thinking to myself, I wonder if they had like an uptick in like those old sort of like trades and those old comics, like after they started putting the exiles out. Well, it's funny because, yeah, uh, yeah, when you, when you sent that link over, I was looking at it, I'm like, man, there's a lot of issues of this thing out there. And, uh, you know, I'm not really familiar with the exiles, but the characters that they brought in, I mean, there's a version of Nick Fury and a version of Psylocke. Um, and I was, I was like, man, this, I, I get, that seems kind of interesting. Like, I think that would be more akin to the way that I would deal. Like, I like that kind of time travel. That's very similar to what heirs of a sealed is, uh, the story that, uh, Steph Cannon and I write, uh, where there's people from other timelines being pulled into a central location instead of the other way around. So I thought that that was neat that Marvel had something very similar to that. I like that a lot more than, than the way that Marvel does their, their time travel and portals and things like that now, because to me, it feels like there's too much in the Marvel universe right now where it's like, Hey, this is the people that control the timeline. And, and Oh, but next, the next series, we're going to have somebody else above them that are controlling the people that control the timeline. Oh wait, now there's these other people on this other side that the ones that really control. It's like, dude, dude, that's, it's just adding this layer over and over and over again. It's too much. Yeah. 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 We, we want you to buy every single book uh, until someone complains about it. Oh no, no, we don't want you to buy every single book. But but we do exactly. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, Matt, present your something listenable. Something listenable. It is Imperial Circus Dead Decadence. Right now, and we're we're end of October. Uh, every year, I do a my my top five metal albums of the year because uh, I have a metal music background. Heirs of the Sealed Door and, and in Symmetry Creations, we do have metal albums that we produce, and I am the main musician on. Um, but I always like to go and listen to to other albums. I mean, I obviously listen to music all the time. Um, Imperial Majesty Dead Decadence is a band from Japan. That um, if you ask what kind of metal do they play, the only answer can be yes, because they probably do the best job that I've heard of people being able to seamlessly merge, um, you know, extreme metal and more, um, more melodic metal and symphonic metal together. And it is just this crazy, bizarre, uh, right on the edge, extreme blend that all just works. Um, I always, I really like a lot of the bands that are coming out of the far East, uh, black Kieran, uh, bloody tyrant. I've always been a fan of Thonic out of um, out of Taiwan, uh, Wagaki band out of Japan. But um, Imperial Circus Dead Decadence uh, to me is uh, probably this album. And I don't even know what the heck the name of it is because all the all the every time I've seen the the names, it's it's in all Japanese characters. I think it's called Magori in the U.S. Um, to me, that is probably going to be the album of the year from 2022 for me. It's just bonkers. It is just, uh, I'm just going to say, it's just, it's just rat shit crazy. That's the best way to describe this band. And, <laughs> and I, when you when you gave it to him, I'm just like, holy fuck, what is this? And <laughs> however, I, I've not heard about this band before. Fuck. Oh, yeah. I, oh, man. I, I, oh, listened, man. I listened to that album um, religiously. Like that once, 
I've done a lot yeah. of driving, a lot of traveling this year. Um, and yeah. you know, you got the new troll fest album, which is like, like, you know, all bizarre Baltic extreme metal party drinking songs. The whole album is yeah. called, um, Flamingo Overlord. And every song is either about flamingos or some kind of alcohol. Um, it's, it's just crazy, but it's like that and Brimer and then, um, um, Imperial Circus and Decadence. That's like what I listen to. Flamingo, I'm a lord. Yes. So, so let me tell you, let me tell you. So there's the, um, uh, whatever, what's the name of that music festival in Europe? The big one that they do. Um, oh man, there's some big festival where all the countries put bands in. Um, Hellfest. Uh, no, no, no. It's, um, it's, 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 it's like, like a national TV band, not national TV thing. Oh, oh, um, Eurovision. Yeah. Eurovision, Eurovision. So, yeah. so, um, you're so Norway had a competition for whoever won in Norway became the Eurovision Norway representative and Trollfest actually was able to play in this, uh, this show to try and become the Norway winner. And they legitimately all got up on stage, all dressed as pink flamingos and played songs with blast beats and all kinds of crazy stuff and accordions and saxophones, but did it completely dressed as pink flamingos. You know, it just makes sense, doesn't it? Oh, to, to somebody like me, it completely does. <laughs> Absolutely does. <laughs> no, but this band you gave me to listen to, oh man, I picked up hints of Dimmu Borgir in there, definitely. I got, uh, it was funny, where they when they started playing the, the really fast uh, uh, guitar solos and riffing and the, the melodic vocals, very sounds very Sonata Arctica to me yes, as yes. well, uh, and uh, but you know that makes sense because I think that by now there's a whole generation of uh young Japanese metal fans that are just all Sonata Arctica because that that band over there is massive, yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's that was lots of fun. Um, good, lots of fun. I need, need more of that. Hey, I'm glad that you dig that, man. Like I said, that album is just straight bonkers. Like you said, there's so many, so much variety on there. That's as much of a metalhead as I am. There are some bands that are really good, but you sort of listen to the album and you're like, man, this is like 12 songs of the same thing or 10 songs of the same thing on that album. Like every song has got a completely different vibe and a completely different feel than the one before, uh, which I think is very difficult to do and have it make sense and sound, sound legitimate. And they know they've found a way to do it. You know, I find it interesting that, Bands in Japan, um, especially metal bands, this I feel like they've sort of almost taken like the J-pop way of doing things in terms of the formulaic way of doing things. They know that if if the, everyone looks a certain way, then people are going to buy into it a bit more who are of that crowd and of that niche. And, um, yeah, I, there's just this, whereas there's other bands like, you, you know, like Australia, UK, um, you know, uh, America, Western countries where there's just bands out there that just, they just haven't got the the imagery right. They they haven't, you know, um, get rid of the jorts, man, is what I'm saying. Um, yep. <laughs> I completely agree. No one, say, no one needs to see jorts on stage. You are so absolutely my, correct. Absolutely correct. <laughs> so my something listenable is Subliminal Verses Volume 3 by Slipknot.
asked me why it's volume three because this is their is this their third album so that's probably why it's volume yeah. three I, I thought it was their fourth album for some reason but um no yeah yeah volume three that makes sense so for me this Slipknot album is it's where they sort of reached this sort of precipice they got to this point where stylistically they felt like they could really just sort of um, push the boundaries in every single direction but also had this way of sort of you know um, pulling back reining things in but and also maintaining that sort of what a Slipknot song and what a Slipknot album was. Uh, funnily enough, the album after is sort of where I tapped out of Slipknot because I, it just sort of went on a huge decline for me. But uh, Subliminal Versus Volume 3, uh, you know, it tried lots of things. It tried uh, Trash Percussion. Corey Taylor, I guess, fi- finally felt um, like he could exercise his melodic vocals a lot more than what he had previously, probably because by the time this album came out, he'd done quite a few Stone Sour records and tours. So um, uh, it was lots of fun. And um, I think this is one of the last albums with Paul Gray in it, maybe. Um, My Slipknot knowledge is a bit rusty in recent years. Um, It's just got so many bangers on this album as well, so many bangers. Um, in the, you know, I love Iowa. I think it's one of the best metal albums, certainly from America in, 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 you know, of what you, when you think of metal and heavy metal and what that sounds like, Iowa is exactly what it should sound like. Yeah. Subliminal Verses just really tapped into that, that, uh, that really sort of, this is as close to avant-garde as Slipknot will ever go, I reckon. (laughs) <laughs> well, I told you before we started recording that I had a couple of things. When you sent me the list of your watchable, listenable, readable, and I was like, there's a couple of interesting links to some of the things you sent. And I'm like, if you don't know what my history is, you won't. If you don't know that, you've picked some very interesting things to link up to. So I actually got to uh, meet Corey Taylor this past May. Um, there's a festival in in uh, my city, Ocala, Florida, called Spookala. Um, it was a horror festival. Um, that was run in this city and the promoter did a very interesting thing where even though it was a three-day show on Saturday for the regular price of admission, uh, the main stage, which I was doing the, uh, the panels and all the panels were set up on the main stage as well. As part of the main stage attractions for the day, you had Ice Nine Kills do an acoustic set. And then right after that, you had Corey Taylor from Slipknot who also did an acoustic set. So the only thing he did was an acoustic set. So, um, you know, he was there and he was one of the main attractions. Like he always had a major line there, but you know, got to be backstage with him and talk with him. There's some pictures of Steph and I with him backstage, but, um, you know, he did a, a fun set on stage acoustically and there was actually a song that he did that went completely viral. I mean, there was articles about it everywhere because the thing that went viral was not a Slipknot song, was not a Stone Sour song. It was him doing the SpongeBob SquarePants theme song. <laughs> but there, there are videos out there of him doing the SpongeBob SquarePants song acoustically and the crowd just losing their mind because of this. I know that that went nowhere near where you thought it was going to go, but that's why this is some kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
man, that's that's beautiful. And that's a great way to end this uh, first segment. So we're going to go on a quick sponsor break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a bit more to Matt about Heirs of Asilda. All right, everyone, welcome back to My Kind of Weird. Matt, you have Heirs of Asilda, which I hope I pronounced that right, which is uh, funding at the moment through Kickstarter. It's, um, correct me if I'm wrong, it's steampunk meets apocalyptic. Is yes. That, is that sort of thing? Yep. Yes. Tell us more. Sure. So uh, the issue that's up there on Kickstarter right now is Heirs of Asilda or The Perilous Prospects. This is book two in The Perilous Prospects story arc. Um the first story arc for Heirs of Asilda was called The Crossroads Conundrum, steampunk time travel, well, I guess say time travel in reverse, where it wasn't about um, getting into the time machine, like Back to the Future, where you want to go to different places and times and all that um, and change things. It was, we say it's in reverse because it was about a watchmaker that was all about making sure time worked exactly as it should. And he was tasked with, um, in this town, that wants everything to work exactly as it should. He was the watchmaker that had the literal responsibility of making sure all the watches and clocks worked correctly. Um, he ended up finding a, uh, this abandoned laboratory with all these uh, machines that were lost to time and decay. He started playing around with some of them and uh, got them into working order. And one of them ended up opening up a portal, started bringing people from other eras to him. And so um, he started to have this conundrum, you know, does he continue to help these individuals that clearly were at the end of their, their time right before he helped them? Um, or does he go to making sure he just works on his watches and making sure the timeline stays as it should be? Because he realizes as he opens these portals, little things start to change. Uh, some things start to get corrupted in his own timeline. And um, he realizes that He's really on this fine line where he could really be the one that starts to collapse the world around him um, by continuing to help these people. So uh, to make a long story shorter, uh, the first arc ends with an apocalyptic event that happens. The first arc is basically all from Michael Isildur's uh, point of view. Uh, when the Perilous Prospect starts, Michael Isildur has been incapacitated and we start to see what's going on with him, with the people that he brought through, all trying to figure out how to... Um, survive in this apocalyptic event the people in the town of Shadowshaven, how they are trying to survive in this apocalyptic event and then we also find out there's these people that have been watching michael this whole time that may have a little bit more to do with this lab that he found than uh than meets the eye and they are trying to figure out how to 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 exist in this apocalyptic event that's happening and try to make sure it, it uh that that they can start reigning in the effects of it so the perilous prospect starts there um we are in the second book of this series. One of the cool things we do is every one of the books um, in this series is perfect bound. So even though it's a comic, um, I've actually got uh, the first the first book right here. And this is, uh, we did a bunch of different covers, but these, they're all perfect bound. So as you can see, this is all the different covers, all perfect bound. So even though it's a comic, it's got a spine on it. So the first book was 48 pages. The second book is 56 pages. And then we are going to go from there. So uh, this one, we are, we've reached our minimum funding, but we also subscribe to the theory of you can either ask for what you need or ask for what you think you can get in the first couple of days. Uh, we ask for what we think we can get in the first couple of days so that that way we can get under the stretch goals and, and the fun things and start giving back to people. We've already unlocked uh, three trading cards, already unlocked a uh, PDF ash can from a debuting 
uh, manga team that uh, this is literally going to be the first time that people are going to have an opportunity to get a hold of their their Ashcan. And when we say a debuting team, this is not a this is not a team that is like a bunch of little kids that are scribbling on a page. This is a a team named Chess and Gwyn that they're going to be a big thing in the manga world. We are just privileged enough to be able to have them allow us to put their PDF out. They did a cover for us on this, uh, on this campaign as well. We've got custom leather work, shirts, socks, all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, but we'd love for you guys to be able to get up there and take a look at it. And the other thing I want to say about perilous prospects is on the campaign right now, we say everything is shipping only to the U S that does not mean we will not ship to, uh, the land of Mad Max. We just had some issues with our first campaign. Shipping rates right now in the world are really crazy uh, because of COVID and the different things that happened and the fallout from it. So we're trying to handle those kind of things on a one-on-one basis. If somebody from um, across any pond wants to get a physical uh, tier from us, uh, we find out what they want. We actually go in and estimate in our system and see how much the shipping is actually going to be. Then we quote it back to them and we go from there. Uh, because we got burned really bad on some shipping on the last campaign and we didn't want to go putting tears up there saying, Hey, here's a $12 book and the entire world is going to be $70 just to ship it because it's not, that's not the case if we're going to Canada or to some other countries. So we wanted to make sure that we could get an accurate view of what the shipping was before we shipped to say New Zealand or to Australia or to anywhere in Europe. Yeah, no, that's smart. So how they, they're just going to send you the shipping through like PayPal or something. No, is that how you do it? Well, what we've done is uh, we actually had a guy from, um, from the Netherlands that wanted to buy, pick up a tier. And when he said, yep, this is what I want to do. We told him the amount. He said, yeah, I want to do it. We actually went in and created him a one of one tier that actually said, uh, here's what you want. This is shipping to the Netherlands only. And we actually put the right shipping in there for him. So he could still go and do everything through the campaign. We just wanted to make sure that we knew what he wanted so we could put that shipping in after the fact. Because you could add tears as a campaign goes along. Yeah, 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 you can. Yeah. So so that's what we did for him. So like I said, if anybody from, from Australia wanted to, to back at a physical level, uh, we just we just asked them to contact us, tell us what they want. We'll go find what the shipping is. If they agree to it, then we'll go make them their own personalized tier so that we can uh, we can make sure that the shipping is accurate for everybody. I see that you teamed up with uh, Skeletal Press um, and White Ash Comics to add some, you know, other collectibles in there as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah. man, why would you team up with Ryan Cummins? He's just <laughs> a horrible person, a horrible individual. Uh, I would why say, would you even bother? <laughs> I would say blame Laurie Foster. Laurie Foster from Unlikely. <laughs> Laurie Foster from Unlikely Hero Studios. Um, she's old. Now, I don't want to say old friend of ours because one, she's not old, but two, you know, she's a she's a friend of ours. And um, she said, "Hey, uh, on one of the the message groups we're in, she's like, hey, is anybody uh, going to be launching a Kickstarter campaign around this time? Because if so, we're looking for some of the right people we want to do some cross marketing with.'" And immediately, Steph and I stepped up and, and messaged Laurie and said, "Yeah, we think we're going to launch around the same time. Uh, what do you have in mind?" And uh, she said, um, well, we definitely have some cross-promotion. What do you think? She said, Ryan is involved. Uh, Charlie Stickney from White Ash. And Charlie's, Charlie is an old friend of, of Steph and mine. And um, we decided that we wanted to do the whole go big or go home thing, which was um, if you back all four of our campaigns at a physical level, then you're going to get a cover-sized metal print, an exclusive art piece that was drawn with one character from each uh, story on this exclusive metal print that it, like I said, is cover size. You get it for free. 
So hey, you've already got, mm-hmm. you've already done enough to go back all four of these campaigns at a, at a, uh, at a physical level. We're like, you know, we can give you this metal print um, that is exclusive to the campaign. Once the campaign is done, you're not going to be able to get it anymore. So there could end up, I mean, if there's 10 people that back it, then there's 10, if there's 50 people that back it, that's how many of them are going to be out there in the, in the wild. And we, we think that with the popularity of everything that Charlie uh, Stickney does at white ash with the, uh, the growth that's happening out of unlikely hero studios and uh, out of skeletal press, that these collectibles are probably going to be worth a pretty penny down the line. Yeah. I like what Charlie Stickney does. Only the only thing I didn't like he did was um, apparently White Ash as it works differently. The order works differently as to what they publish, as to what they release on Kickstarter. So I was just like, man, I, I obviously people got it, but man, that's hard to pitch to people. Yeah. So, you know, I, I understand the way that that um, when he, uh, cause we also do, uh, we have a title with scout comics as well. Cause I, that's what you're talking about. The scout comics releases of white ash. And part of the reason yeah. why they, they did it that way is because they wanted there to be a gap between the way things are released on Kickstarter and what actually gets released into distribution. So that, that way, um, if you're a fan of a title that's on Kickstarter, that you have a reason to want to go and get it from distribution as well, whether it's going to be a unique cover. Uh, they also don't want it to be something that's going to be dropping at exactly the same time. Because if you're like, um, let's go get, um, you know, Misfits Clubhouse is, our, is the comic we have on Scout. Um, hey, let's go run a Kickstarter for Misfits Clubhouse. Oh, and that exact same issue is going to be going to distribution right now. There's going to be a lot less impetus for someone who's a collector to want to be able to get it from Kickstarter and go get it in distribution. So that's why they try to put about six months um, between out there. And yeah, I know that white ash um, was on Kickstarter for quite a few years before they started releasing through scout. Um, but they did that yeah. that way they could restart the series with a number one. Um, once it started going to distribution to the comic stores. Uh, so that that's why that's why that happened that way. But it, it was so that way there's a Kickstarter version that you can go and collect the Kickstarter style versions, and then you have a distribution version that's got unique covers or unique versions of covers as well that you can go and get through the comic stores or the LCSs uh, throughout the country and throughout the world. Yeah, that's smart. I mean, there's been times, and I'm not going to mention names, but where I've uh, supported something, and then before I even get the the book, it's already in a comic book store, and it's just like, oh, man, that's a bad look. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I, I can tell you that, that that's one of the things that Steph and I pride ourselves on when it comes to, um, when it comes to what we do is that a lot of times there's very, very tight, um, timeframes when it comes to getting the things back from shipping or from the printer and then getting it out to, um, out to the, the backers. And there's been many times, cause we do a lot of shows. We just, uh, what we did our, we just did our hundredth combined show and we say combined, like whether it was Steph doing it individually on the West coast of the country or me doing it individually on the East coast or us doing shows together. We just did our hundredth show, uh, two weekends ago. So we're busy. We're always doing a lot of shows and inevitably when we run a Kickstarter, we're going to be getting those, those packages in or the deliveries in right before a show. So we always try to at minimum make sure that the digitals, the PDF versions are in the hands of our backers that the backers know that we're going to get those things out. If we have an opportunity, there was one time where I think we got the, the boxes in on a Thursday and I, I think we stayed up like 15 hours, got as many packages together, took them to 
um, the post office Friday and then Saturday morning. And then we had the show that afternoon. We try to do whatever we can to, to get them out there so that that way a backer like yourself is not going to be like, well, dude, why did I support this thing? If people can go to a show and, and get it before me, uh, we try to make sure that that doesn't happen. But if it does, it's going to be a, Hey man, your stuff is literally in the mail right now. Now for you being mm-hmm. international, sometimes it might take a month or two months for you to get your package. We can't do anything when it comes to that. But, um, you know, we try to at least make sure on our side that, that we have done right by our backers, that the backers know where the, the, the hangups are. The backers know that they've got the digital, they can at least read it and they can at least be the first ones to have their hands on it before any other person has a chance to, uh, to back it as, or pick it up as well. Yeah, no, 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 that's good. I like, um, some of the variants that you got here. I'm looking at, um, I mean the, um, which I'm assuming is the mango one, uh, it that could, it looks guys it looks like a cover that could easily be a Tokyo Pop release easily. I'm talking about um, uh, cover C with the guy holding the sword. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, so that is that's that's the one. That's the Keto variant. Keto is is the newest character that has come into the heirs of a sealed or world. Um, mm. Previous to this, and again, some of these are spoilers, but they're only spoilers because they go back into the previous arc. But previous to this, anyone that get, came through a portal. Um, was under the control of the machines that Michael Isildur himself was working on because of this apocalyptic event that has happened. Other things have happened in the world, so to speak, without getting too deep into it and becoming spoilerific. And, um, Kido has come through a portal, not under the control of Michael Isildur. And, um, so in that cover, you see he's holding the blade and down the blade, you see the faces of a lot of the characters, the reflection of a lot of the characters in the story are down that blade. Uh, that's done by by Chess and Gwyn, who are the writers of the Bohemian Trials, which is the ash can that everybody's going to get uh, in our campaign now. Uh, it's such a great art team, and uh, we're really, really happy to be able to get them to do that cover. Marcos Rocha from Brazil is the colorist on that. Really made that thing pop, and I'm um, really, really happy with the way that came out. Um, the other variant covers that are in there, the, uh, the cover B is actually an homage. It's called the Strangest Homage because it is an homage to Stranger Things, uh, it is based on the Stranger Things season four poster, logos, everything. We had an artist, uh, Josh Menendez, that came in and did the homage to Stranger Things poster for us. And I think that thing came out massive, came out awesome. And uh, then we have our main cover, which is uh, Merc, who's one of the uh, the main characters of her blue and purple hair. Uh, she actually is riding on the two-headed horse. So she's actually found a way to tame the two-headed horse, and she's riding away from uh, from some pursuit and uh, or maybe maybe the two-headed horse has tamed her we don't really know and the last but not least we have a cover d which is the uh it is called artificial extravagance uh we actually went into mid-journey and we have a mid-journey subscription and we put a bunch of terms in there and we finally came up with one that looked really cool uh which is like some glowing uh futuristic looking goggles and that's where we got our cover d from and part of the reason we really like that is because we do have some custom leather work in this campaign we have a leather worker we work with that is actually doing custom goggles. If you see us, it shows we always have goggles on our top hats or Steph wears goggles on our head. Uh, they're custom made by a company called GB Leatherworks for us. And they've actually got some custom branded goggles that they're the goggles that we wear, but they actually have our symbol uh, etched into the side of them for this campaign as well. Oh, very cool. Very cool. It leans into that, you know, that steampunk, uh, you know, you know, aspects and imagery for sure. Now, you mentioned before that you're the writer of the 
the music side of As of a Sildor. Yes. So tell me, Matt, what does a As of a Sildor soundtrack sound like? Uh, so I come from a from extreme metal world. Um, there are uh, a lot of. It, it's funny. I think part of the reason why um, Imperial Circus Dead Decadence appeals to me so much is because there's a lot of that same feel, but a lot more Americanized or, or European sounding coming from Heirs of Isildur. Um, there is a big combination of a blast beats and melodic beats on the drums. Um, there's a lot of uh, combinations of vocals, whether it be, uh, you know, the deep guttural vocals with, and then also like some black metal uh, higher pitch vocals, but then also um, clean power metal style vocals. Uh, Corey Steger, who was the original guitarist in Under Oath, uh, was my musical partner on the first two albums. And uh, uh, Corey, right before we released um, the second album, which is Heirs of a Sealed versus Chalice Nocturnia, he was uh, tragically killed in a, in, a, um, in a reckless driver accident. So we actually, that album holds the last tracks he ever recorded in his life um, on that album. So we felt a huge responsibility when we put that album out because we knew that this was going to be the final thing of new tracks that was going to be released by him. But Corey was an incredible, incredible power metal vocalist and could hit like some of those King Diamond notes. So we had a lot of fun. Uh, we always called them like the kicked in the nuts notes or the dog notes. And uh, we had a lot of fun recording those things and, and having fun mixing those in with, with um, the different heavy guttural styles. But we always, we always liked to make sure it was melodic and something that people that were into different styles of metal could get into. Um, the first album, The Crossroads Conundrum, goes with the the, com- the story arc of the same name. And the songs are, a lot of them are origin stories for the characters. So there'll be something in the book that'll say, uh, if you want to know more about this character, Shiver, uh, go listen to the song Shiver on the album. And that'll be a little more of an expansion of what his backstory was or the things that were going on in his life. Um, the second album, Heirs of a Sealer versus Tales from Nocturnia. Uh, we have, that's two of our titles, obviously, Heirs of a Sealer, Tales from Nocturnia. We did three Kickstarters for Tales from Nocturnia and we would write new music for each one of the Kickstarter trailers. And we got to the end of it. We're like, well, we've got all these songs that are for heirs of a sealed or, and all these pieces of music for Tales from Nocturnia. What are we going to do? So we decided to do a little bit of a concept kind of like um, Marvel versus Capcom. So the album cover has got like all the characters from heirs on one side versus all the characters from Tales from Nocturnia on the other. And the songs on that album uh, the air songs are a lot more of a summary of what's going on in the universe um, of the perilous prospects. So the first three songs are the perilous prospects of shadows Haven, which is the town it all takes place in the perilous prospects of the portals and tells you where these portals came from and why they play into the story. And then the perilous prospects of the timekeeper, which is Michael Isildur, and now he plays into it. So if you look at the lyrics of those three songs, if you're like, hey, I just want to start with the Perilous Prospects. I don't want to have to go back and and read this whole other arc. You can start with the three songs, uh, the Perilous Prospects, on that album, that trilogy of songs, and get that entire backstory. So you can start off with Perilous Prospects Book One and feel like you you have a complete understanding of what you need to know about the story. Awesome, awesome. All right. Well, I think that's it. Where can people find you on? You know your socials, your websites. Do people do websites anymore? Oh, we we definitely have a website up there. We have so many different things that we do. We kind of have to have a t- something like that so people can add to know where they can uh, they can have a centralized location. I would say right now, to be honest, the best place for people to go is to tinyurl.com forward slash airs h e i r s t p p two. 
That'll take you to the Kickstarter page so you can see everything that we have going on as far as our merchandise. Uh, we really have a fun uh, campaign video up there. This show will be talking about you're kind of weird. Hope you watch the campaign video because if that's something that you don't think is weird, uh, I don't know. We had a lot of fun making that thing. We had a long day of recording. We just got silly with it. And, um, but if you don't want to go up there, you're like, dude, I just want to go to the regular website. You can go to insymmetrycreations.com. Uh, it's got stuff about all of our stories up there, music videos for the albums. Uh, Steph does a lot of writing for uh, sites like Fangoria, Creepy Kingdom, Horror Geek Life, Horror Buzz. I think she's somewhere between 65 and 70 published articles. We have links to every single one of those articles up there. Uh, all of our live appearances. We just got done with uh, New York Comic Con. We just did GeekedCon in uh, in Shreveport, Louisiana. So uh, we make sure you know where our, our appearances are going to be. Uh, if you just want to go visit us on Facebook, you can go to forward slash InSim, I-N-S-Y-M on Facebook, InSim Creations on Twitter, uh, InSymmetry Creations on Instagram. And we also have a promotional partnership with Scout Comics, uh, who is uh, where our title Misfits Clubhouse is. So if you go to Scout Comics uh, social medias, uh, like their TikTok page or their Instagram, you're probably going to see some of the uh, videos and promotional things that Steph and I have done for them as well for some of their awesome titles. Awesome. And we'll put most of those links in the show notes as well. <laughs> if you if you need me to get you a quick list of them so that way you're not having to type for a month, I'll throw them all over there for you. I'll shoot them in, in, in our, our private chat. Awesome, awesome. All right, guys. Well, for the... For another time, my name is Anthony. Matt, thank you very much for joining us on My Kind of Weird. Absolutely, man. I really appreciate you having me on, and I hope that your uh, your fans and listeners are going to go up there and check out some Heirs of a Sealed Or, The Perilous Prospects, book two on Kickstarter right now until November 10th. I hope so, too. Thanks, guys. See you guys, and hear you, hear me next time. Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free comedy to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.